So since it is January, um, we're all kind of thinking about life. We're thinking about our, our lives, and um, we're doing that more so right now than we will all year long. We are revisiting dreams and looking at our finances and thinking about our career goals. What do we want to do with this year or this new opportunity? 365 more days, 365 more chances. What are we wanting to do with this time? So this morning what I wanted to do was kind of take a pause from hopping into a series immediately. And I want to talk to you about an area that really requires a lot of discernment. And that is cutting things out of our lives. A lot of times when we do this uh, in investment or, or this, um, this, this look into our, our own lives, we see a lot of things that we don't like. Um, we look at where our finances are, where some of our relationships are, or where we are emotionally, we don't like it. And so this is just a great opportunity for us to let the Holy Spirit give us discernment and tell us what to do with those things and to help us rid ourselves of anything that's keeping us from being the people that God wants us to be. As Christians, we talk a lot about humble topics, meaning we talk a lot about forgiveness, we talk a lot about obedience, we talk a lot about serving, we talk a lot about giving. Uh, again, all of these are from a low position, but we seldom uh, talk about and tackle those areas that require confrontation or require a face-off for our betterment. And sometimes, and this is very biblical, we have to stand in our lives and draw a line. We have to say, this is it for me. This is where I stand on this particular topic. Uh, this is what I think about it. This is what I think God is telling me to do about this particular topic. And so we put down very defining boundaries as to what, what we're going to do and how we're going to think about this particular area. And so um, we just don't talk a whole lot about that, but, but we're going to this morning. Because when we don't practice that kind of courage about putting lines in the sand, when we don't do that, we become very passive Christians who think that everything is fixed with a hug. Okay? Now, um, so the way that I want to just uh, start this message out is giving you some Southern allegory. Okay? Matter of fact, this allegory is going to be so country that you may leave here and start your Leonard Skinner playlist in your car on the way home. All right? And so let me just tell you about this. I'm going to use this story to kind of tie everything together and anchor it. When I was growing up, my grandfather was my fishing buddy, and he just kind of introduced me to the whole, whole thing. Uh, my father went many times, but it was my grandfather who was kind of the director of that. And so one afternoon, it's just he and, and I, and we're fishing, and he catches a very large fish. Now, from me memory, I, I can't tell you if it was a big bass or if it was a catfish. He enjoyed both. All I know is it was a large fish, and I would call it a trophy fish, and here's why. Because when we got that thing in the boat, it already had two other hooks in its mouth with broken line kind of coming out. And my grandfather made a comment about it. He was like, uh, you know, this has already disappointed a couple of fishermen. And he would say, this is going to be some good eating. That's what he would say. And I just remember the image of seeing this larger fish than normal in the boat with now three hooks in its mouth. 
and two of them from previous experiences. So looking at this story and bringing it to spiritual application, it brings one observation and one question to consider about it. So first I want to give us the observation, and it's this. A wound will heal around a hook. A wound will heal around a hook. Now here's what we know about the body. We know that many times people unfortunately are wounded by gunfire. And the surgeon will decide to leave the bullet in the body because it's less invasive to not disturb it. When this is done, it's like this fish. The body just walls it off, or it encapsulates it. And eventually, the body considers that foreign object as normalcy. So our emotional and our relational and spiritual construct is no different than that physical example that I just gave you. Sometimes we experience emotional pain or relational pain or spiritual pain. And rather than feeling like we need to invade it and get in there and get it out, we just encapsulate it. We wall it off. We let the body and and the mind normalize it. And we end up living with that wound a lot longer than we have to. So this leads me to the question that's going to guide everything we say this morning, and it's this. How much hook and line can we have in our lives and still thrive? How much hook and line can we have in our lives and still thrive? And there's a big difference between survival and thriving. Jesus even said it this way, I've come that you might have life, but that you might have it more abundantly. Meaning this, I just don't want you to survive this life. I just don't want you to just make it through. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to thrive. I want you to be alive in this thing and vibrant and full of joy and want to get up every day and do something with your life. And so, how much hook and line can we take in our lives without it causing us to no longer thrive? There are actually ten areas to our existence. And nobody get nervous, I'm not going to preach ten points this morning. But there, I am going to list these out. All of them would have a biblical model or an example to give you, but for time's sake, all I can do is list them. You're going to have to study it out for yourself. These are broken down into into three sections. I'm going to give you all of this really quick, but here it is. The first area of our existence revolves around our state of being. And this is your emotional, your spiritual, your intellectual, and your physical makeup. Luke chapter 10 verse 27 calls this heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he tells you, I want you to love the Lord your God with all that, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of of your strength. With all of your being, I want you to worship me. 
I want you to worship me with your intellect. I want you to worship me with your body. I want you to worship me with your emotion. I want you to worship me with everything that you have. I want it to belong to me. I'm in love with you. I want you to be in love with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second area is your state of relating. So your marriage, your parenting, and your social life. How you relate to your spouse, to your children, and, and your friends. It's all part of who we are. All right, now we've talked a lot about the importance last year. We talked a whole lot about the importance of friendship and relationships and having godly people in our lives. The third area is the state of doing. All right, so it's vocation, hobbies, and finances. What I do as a career, what I do for fun, and how I use my money to mobilize things. How it makes my life ebb and flow. This building is an example of doing for you. Why? Because you took a portion of your finances, you gave them to this ministry, and this became a physical manifestation of your giftedness on your job, which you were paid for, which you invested into this place, and we took that doing and made something of it. Okay, so all of this becomes part of our existence, all 10 of these areas. And here's, here's the, the thing that I want you to get right off. All 10 of these can have hook and line in them, all of them. Your marriage can have hook and line, your friendships, your intellect, your spiritual man, your finances, your hobby, all of these things can be hooked. And so how much of that can we take and still thrive? So what I'm saying is that this is a great time of year for us to look at our lives and remove this stuff out and to let wounds heal properly and close up so that we can be the healthiest people that, that we can be. All of these areas, you are stronger in one or more than all, all the others. For example, some of you are more intellectual than emotional. Okay, Some of you are more financially focused than spiritually focused. Some of you are great parents, but you're not so great as a, a, a friend. Okay, Some of you are great at thinking through things, and you're great, you're great at strategy, but you're not great at hugging somebody. Okay? Now, my, my, my mom and dad grew up, we, we were huggers. You didn't leave our house without a hug. You didn't come home without a hug. Okay? My dad was like, hey, come here, let Papa Bear put his paws on you. He would, you know, come in and, and just hug, hug on you. My mom, Robin, and I make fun of it all, all the time, Robbie and I do. If you were sitting next to my, if my mom came and she sat next to me, she would rub my knee right here until my jeans got hot. And I would have to tell her, Mom, you either got to come to the other side or stop. Because it's, it's just crazy. She was just that touchy-feely, huggy, got to put my hand on you kind of person. And if you didn't like it, don't sit by my mom because it, she would have her hand on you. right? It's just the way that, that she was. We're hardwired differently. But out of all these ten areas that I just gave you, the churches that I grew up in always placed an emphasis on the body the most. Now, I, I like to think that it's probably because the body was an easy target. It was easy to see. It was a physical manifestation. And so it was easy to target that and abuse Scripture on it and say that you got to do this. And, and so let me give you an example. I grew up hearing all kinds of messages on, on the perils of smoking and drinking. Okay, and I grew up in a charismatic church, but we, we heard often about, about sermons on you can't smoke and you can't drink. However, I never heard a sermon about Twinkies. It, it, you know, you, you could like eat anything you wanted, just don't smoke or drink. 
So you can be, um, uh, you, you can do anything else you want to the body. Just don't smoke or just don't don't drink. As a matter of fact, um, this this little Baptist church down the road from my my hometown area, we had a little Baptist church down from our, our house, and they would take a smoke break in between Sunday school and the main service. Come on, somebody! They had like a little little smoke garden, had a little ashtray in it. And you go out there in between Sunday school and church and, and smoking. Now, how many of you grew up, you heard a sermon about smoking or drinking? Anybody? Yeah, the rest of y'all, there's our Baptist folks. The one who, are, who don't have their hand, that's Baptist. Okay? Come on, Baptist folks. I'm just teasing you. Every sermon that I heard on the body growing up included 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. And it, and it says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Every time, okay? Listen, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't be smoking. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drinking. Your body is, is, the, is, is, the, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we would hear all these things about the body, but never on the importance of anything else. And so that word body actually equates to the word being. It's not, this body is not just the temple of the Holy Spirit. My entire being, my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength all comes together to be a house for the Holy Spirit. He's saying from that position is where the Holy Spirit dwells in you, from your entire being. So there's so much more to our body being a temple of the Holy Spirit than just preaching about beer and North Carolina tobacco, right? And so I'm not condoning that you can go out and get drunk this afternoon, but I am telling you with great confidence it's okay to eat at Colton's. Thank you. Okay, now welcome to church. There you are. Right? If you got any problems with the sermon today, you can, you can email Craig Woodson at New Life Church. Okay. So I want to spend the rest of this message talking about what to rid ourselves of, and I, and I want to start with this. I want to start with people. People. Now, I want to make sure that I communicate this very well because I don't want you leaving um, confused. I want to make sure that you make no mistake we are a church who believes in biblical community. We believe that you need to hang out, that you need to have close friends, that you need to invite people into your inner circle, that you need to have accountability, that you need to have confession partners. But the Bible is also very clear. There are some people that do not need to be in your life, right? There is a big difference in sharing the love of God with someone and being tethered to someone. If I use Jesus' example, he hung out with unbelievers so much that it bothered the, the leadership of that, that day and time because they said, we can't believe you're hanging out with sinners. But what, what he was doing was saying, listen, I'm trying to love these people and grace these people and cause a paradigm shift in an entire culture. And I'm trying to, to shine light into where there, where there was darkness. But watch, my people are still over here in this group of 12 who are with me and know me and love me and have my back. I can go over here, but I'm tethered to these people. Our inner circle, the people who we live life with, should be people of faith, should be people who we are encouraged by and lifted up by. 
And this may feel conflicting at first, again, because Scripture talks a lot about loving and forgiving and extending grace, and we should. But you have to view the Bible as a Swiss Army knife. Okay, so it's got all this great stuff, but you can apply it in a hundred different ways. And so you have to have discernment to understand that sometimes you need to give grace and sometimes you need to give goodbye. And so we have to understand this, that when the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we are around people that we don't really bear witness with, and they're dragging us down, and they're full of negativity, and they're hurting our lives, it's time to cut those people loose. It's time to, to rid ourselves of the hook and line that that person gives us. So let me give you some biblical examples on the gift of goodbye so that you know this is more than just my personal philosophy this morning. I want to take you to an old story real quick in Genesis chapter 13. I'm going to give you several examples really quick this morning, back to back to back. Genesis chapter 13, and even though the Bible is not written in chronological order, this is a very old book, old story. And you got two great men. you got Abraham and Lot, and they're hanging out, their family, and as they are, are growing their family and growing their wealth, they become so wealthy and so expansive that they can't tell where one ends and the other starts. And so what happens is their herd is getting so big and it's overflowing, both of them becoming very, very wealthy in terms of cattle and property. But there's this also there's another group of people living in the area called the Parasites, and the Parasites are an entire community, and so they too are using the same land for their herd. And so what happens is, just to give you a quick context, you got these herdsmen out there, and they're like, hey, listen, we, we were here all day. This land belongs to Abraham. And the other group would say, well, we've been here all morning. We just kind of made our way onto this edge right here. And according to us, Lot owns all this. So they're back and forth. Well, you tell Lot, we own it. Well, you tell Abraham. And finally, you know how it works. It makes its way up the chain of command. And Abraham gets a hold of it. And he goes to Lot and he says this in verse 8. Let's not have any quarreling between you and I. Or between your herders and mine. Because we're close. We're family. We're relatives. It is not the whole land before us, so let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And this is a great example of the gift of goodbye done with grace. For some reason, we tend to think that saying goodbye to someone has to be ugly and passive-aggressive and has to include some, some weird text. But it doesn't have to be done, done so. We can end something gracefully and, and, and nobody be, be wrong because Abraham wasn't wrong, Lot wasn't wrong, they were just wrong for each other. Okay, now let's jump way into the New Testament. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. we got these two great guys, Paul and Barnabas. Now if you'll read this and you go back before chapter 15, you'll realize that the Holy Spirit um, orchestrated these guys being two together and the church blessed them to go out and they're tearing it up. They're planting churches, they're, they're putting down great theology, they are raising up leaders, they're discipling people, I mean, they're doing some amazing things. So they come to this conversation in Acts chapter 15, and Paul says, hey, listen, Barnabas, what I want to do is I want to circle back, 
and I want to talk to all of the churches that we've planted. Let's, let's just do a tour and circle back and see how everybody's doing. Let's just encourage them. Let's put a button on it. Let's just make sure everybody's great. And Barnabas says, hey, that sounds great, but I, I want to take John Mark with me. Let's, let's bring him in, and, and all of a sudden the brakes come on. And, and Paul says, no, listen, now, if you remember, John Mark left us hanging. When we needed it, he, he abandoned us, and I don't, want him, I don't want him anywhere near this project. You let him do his thing, we'll do ours. And the disagreement became so sharp, they parted ways. Okay, now let me read it to you. So this is Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through 39. It says, So Barnabas wanted to take John, also Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise because he had deserted them. Verse 39, And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. It was actually right here that Barnabas then became preaching partners with John Mark, and Paul grabbed Silas, and they just went on. Okay? Hey, again, Paul didn't do anything wrong. Barnabas didn't do anything wrong, but they were wrong for each other. So it was wise, it was healthy to just part ways. You live for God, I'm going to live for God. But our souls are not going to be tethered to each other. And sometimes we can be dragged down by people with different philosophies, different theology, different doctrine, different thoughts about all of it, different thoughts about marriage and raising kids. And before too long, we're in this competition of trying to do it their way or they're trying to do it our way. And it becomes this very, it's no longer championing each other on. It turns into competition. Okay, now let me, let me take you on in, into Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 20. Watch this. This is what he says. Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, this. Hang out with foolish people, and in one area of those ten areas of your existence, you're going to have some harm. Hang out with foolish people doing foolish things, and harm will come to you in some area. All right, so it's not wise to hang out with fools. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I hang out with bad people. My character takes a hit. All right, that's what it says. I love Proverbs 14, verse 7. He just gets straight to it. Stay away from a fool. Okay, that sounds like some mom talk there. Stay away from a fool. My mom used to say, you're acting a fool. Stay away from a fool. 2 Corinthians 6, watch this, we've badly abused this. Verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Does that mean I can't hang out with them? No. Does it mean I can't have people in my house who don't believe the way I do? No, it doesn't. Does it mean I can't take people to, to a meal who are in open sin and I can't talk to them about the love of God? No. The key word here is bound. Don't be bound to them. They shouldn't be in your, in your inner sanctum. They shouldn't be someone that you're tethered to. Just don't be bound to them at this particular time. Have wisdom in it. Okay. If you're single, don't date them. If you're a, a believer, don't bind yourself emotionally and physically and relationally to an unbeliever. 
Witness to them, show them grace, show mercy, shine some light, give some truth, but do not let yourself be bound to it. Okay? Now, I can't speak for all of you, but I can speak for me. And when I say I, I plan in 2018 to let some people off the hook, it is not only healthy but biblically encouraged for us to let foolish people, unhealthy people, and angry people out of our lives. And if you don't believe that, read Proverbs start to finish, and you'll find more than those three categories. The second hook we got to get, get out of our mouths is stuff. I know that's theologically deep. Everybody say stuff. Come on, you can say it with some more energy than that. Say stuff. Yeah. So this past week, I took off, and uh, Robbie and I, we always take the week after candlelight because I've sung so hard I can't hardly move. And so I, I, I always take the week of candlelight off, and we spend that, that time together. Robbie takes it off. I take it off. We, I don't speak that weekend after and so we get a whole week to not not think. We there's no strategy. There's no uh, there's no ministry duties. She doesn't go to work. Robbie uh, Riley doesn't go to school. Everybody's home. It's a great chance for us to just regroup, spend some time together. And so she comes to me, and thanks to Anna Lane, she comes in and she says, "Hey, I got a new book." And uh, so I was like, oh, oh, this should be really good. And she says, so listen, what, what, what we're going to do, I just need you to come and help me. I was like, all right, what, what are we going to do? She said, get a garbage can. I said, all right. And she says, no, I mean, I mean like, a, like a 55-gallon trash bag. Um, and I said, oh, okay. And she said, actually, you need one in each hand. Oh, okay. So for three days of my vacation, we went through every room, drawer, cabinet, and she got rid of everything that we have two of that's chipped, broken, or we haven't worn it in a year, okay? Which for me, that means I got four shirts left, okay? And so... All that was gone. So I had to make like three trips to New Hope and all these, tried to come out to the church dumpster and use it because I had so much stuff. And people who know us know we are organized, clean, simple, put together people. We don't, you could come to my house anytime, any day, go through anything you wanted and probably navigate yourself through it pretty well. We're, we're just clean people, but we had collected somehow stuff, Okay. And so I want to tell you real quick by using that, that our culture, without relent, has tried to convince us that what we have is who we are, or what we don't have is who we are. And so we just collect, we become these collectors of stuff for the purpose of identity, to say, I have this, therefore I am. And Christ wants our identity completely, totally, utterly in him, not in stuff. And so we need to trim stuff out of our lives. Now to apply that spiritually, there are things that are in all of us in some of these areas. Man, we got stuff, emotional stuff, and relational stuff, spiritual stuff, and we try like a hoarder to just 
work our way around it. It's like we got a path. If you've ever watched that show, there's always a path going from A to B. And the rest is just stuff. So emotionally, we've made this little path, and we don't want to deal with all this. Just head down and keep moving. Relationally, the same way. I got this stuff in my marriage, stuff with my kids, stuff with my job, stuff with my past. And what it's time to do is, is grab a contractor bag and go through our lives and let this be the moment in time where you start over with it. Where you let the Holy Spirit do a work in it. Okay, now let me, let me explain this. For those of you who, who are, are, are married, I, I want you to hold out your left hand and on, on the third finger of your left hand is going to be a wedding band. If not, you're in trouble. And so this is an object of affection. It's something that we, we wear because it's backed by a vow, a commitment. It has depth to it. It has weight to it. There are stories involved about these rings and how we got them and how, how we paid for it or who it, who it belonged to. And we, they, they have weight to it. It's an object of affection, and we, we would guard them. If the house was on fire, this would be one of the items you grabbed quickly. And sometimes for the wrong reasons, we let objects of affection into our lives and we guard them and protect them. And sometimes they remind us of other people and they remind us of of problems and issues that, that, that we had. And it's time to get rid of it. I'll tell you, give you two quick examples. When I was in counseling, for those of you who don't know, I'm a counselor, and when I was doing that full time, I had this guy come in, he's like, hey man, do you think it's all right if I keep my crack pipe? I said, like, I mean, are you on crack right now? No, I, I just, I keep it. Why, why do you keep it? Because I want to remember my life before Jesus. I want, him, I want to remember how messed up I was. I was like, well, you should write an essay and just like read that occasionally because you're harboring a, a, a felony charge. There's some drug paraphernalia in your house. Things in our past we got to let go of. I had this lady come in and she said, hey, I, she said, you see this wedding band? I said, yeah, it's beautiful. Gorgeous ring. She said, yeah, I'm, 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 Married, divorced, and remarried, but and this ring is the ring my first husband gave me. And every time I see it, I think of him. I said, that's because it's his ring. Come on now. She said, but it, it is big, y'all. I, she was like, this ring's between fifteen dollars and $20,000. I can't just discard it. I don't, but every time. Every time I see it, I just I think of him. I think of our life. I think of the stuff that went wrong. And I said, can I see the ring? Let me see the ring. She gave it. She was looking at me like, are you about to run out with this? And I took it, and I said, what if, what if I take this, this big part, the two-carat part, and I take it off, and I drop it in your eye? I just put it there, like, just like a contact lens. I just pull out the bottom, drop it in there. And she said, she answered the question, she said, that would be about $15,000 worth of pain. That's the point. 
that there are some things we give a lot of value to that are just an irritation to the soul. It's like dropping a two-carat diamond in your eye. It doesn't feel right. We want it to be gone, but we don't really know how to part with it. And so what, what we end up doing is we take this moment where we're all like focused, where we're saying, I want to make these changes in my life, and rather than doing it, we become fearful, we slide back into complacency, back into the same patterns we had last year, and we go on with, with wearing rings and having stuff set back, and whether it's a physical analogy or a spiritual analogy, it doesn't matter, it's the same principle. That there are things we've given value to that we need to open our lives up to hear from the Holy Spirit on to say, do I need to put this in the contractor bag and get it out of my life? I'm out of time, but I I want to apply this today. So let let me give you three quick applications in 60 seconds, and I'm going to wrap up. Three things to do with this message today. Take inventory, take initiative, and take a break. Take inventory, take initiative, and take a break. We need to take inventory of our lives. What's going on in here? Where am I? Have have our finger on the pulse of our own lives. Where am I weak? Where am I strong? What am I doing well? What am I not doing so well? We need to take inventory. Now, let me give you some word on that. Psalm 139, 23, this is what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The word test there actually can be brought over, segued into computation, meaning this. What, what What David is saying is add up my anxious thoughts. Okay? So search me, O God, know my heart, add up my thoughts. And that needs to be our prayer for inventory. God, search me. Know me. Look at the depths of my heart. Look at everything I have, all of it. I'm laying it out. I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm not going to lie to the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to act like I've got it all together. Search me, oh God. Know my thoughts. Know my heart. And then once we've taken inventory, take initiative. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 1, let us lay aside every weight. And then it goes on to say, let us run the race that is set before us. There's a lot of meat here, but let me just give you what I'm thinking right now. The part I like about this is it says, let us lay aside the weight. I'm not going to wait on an angel. I'm not going to wait on a committee. I'm not going to wait on the pastor. I'm not going to wait on my spouse. I'm not going to wait on the right, right book to motivate me. I'm going to do it. Let us lay aside the weight. I know what's going on because I've already asked the Lord to search me, to know me, and to add it all up. And now I see it. I know it. I feel it. All i got to do is take the initiative and now lay aside the weight, get it out of my life, put that stuff to the side and run the race. And then third, take a break. Enjoy the freedom of life without so much baggage. Psalm 118.5, I love this verse. I rediscovered it this week personally. This is what it said. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. And watch this. He brought me into a spacious place. If I give you a modern word for spacious place, it, it would be this, margin. For those of you who have business owners in here, you know what I mean, margin. I'm going to put some space in your life. When you have gone through the inventory process and you've taken the initiative to register, you are going to feel the weight coming off your chest 
and you're going to have to have, you, you are going to have rather more space in your life to graduate from a life lived to life more abundantly. I'm going to let, let the Lord move me this year into a more spacious place. A place where life is lighter, where my heart is lighter, where my mind is easy, where I'm not giving all this headspace to things I shouldn't be giving headspace to. And I'm going to take, take a break and I'm going to move into life more abundantly, okay? Why don't you bow your heads with me in this place today and I want to pray with you.